we've talked about, uh, we, we started a series last week called All I Want for Christmas. And we talked about last week, uh, Christmas song, that all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth, right? And um, so thought we would start with another song today. Um, and it has the title of a Christmas song. It shares the same title of a Christmas song. And, and this time of year, and at some point, we're going to sing Joy to the World. I mean, you know, Joy to the World. Joy to the World. You know, that's a great tune. Um, but there is another um, version, rendition, not really a song. There's another song that goes by the title Joy to the World. And it was recorded by a band called Three Dog Night. Anybody ever heard of Three Dog Night? Anybody know what a Three Dog Night is? That if it gets so cold, you have to sleep with three dogs just to warm up, right? That's what a Three Dog Night is, all right? So uh, Three Dog Night recorded a song, Joy to the World, in the early 70s. Now, it wasn't written by them. It was written by a guy by the name of uh, Hoyt Axton, Hoyt Axton, and you might have seen his face. Uh, he was actually, I didn't realize he was on the Gremlins. He was on a few movies, uh, but he was a singer-songwriter, and he wrote this song called Joy to the World, and these, I'm just going to read the uh, lyrics here. It says, Jeremiah was a bullfrog, was a good friend of mine. I never understood a single word he said, but I helped him drink his wine and he always had some mighty fine wine, singing joy to the world, all the boys and girls now. Joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea, joy to you and me, right? So what is ironic about this is that a guy who would pen a song talking about joy and talking about joy to the world, and, and um, he did not have a lot of joy in his life. Uh, actually, if you go read the rest of the lyrics, it's not a great song because uh, uh, he had a very uh, kind of colorful life. Uh, he was married about four times. Um, he had an addiction to alcohol and cocaine, uh, and he died of a heart attack at the age of 61. And so he spent his life trying to find joy. And so that was a kind of ironic that he writes a song about joy, and then he struggled to find joy, right? And, and so I think many of us, sometimes we struggle to find joy, uh, and there are times when maybe joy comes to us more readily than, than others, and then there are other times where um, we do, we struggle to find joy. And it can be at this time of year where we struggle to find joy because there are things that cut in. There are things that will steal our joy, uh, things like selfishness. I know that I have had bouts of selfishness in the past, right? I'm just, I'm like you. And I know I'm not going to ask you how many of you are selfish because you'll be selfish and won't raise your hand. And say, it's just you, Pastor. You're just the only selfish one here, you know? But we all have bouts of selfishness. There are things that, that will steal our joy, and selfishness is one of them. Comparison. If you ever compare yourself to someone else, if you ever compare your life to someone else's, maybe, maybe a, a family member or, you know, maybe it's a brother or a sister or maybe it's uh, the neighbors, you know, and just comparing your life. Comparison will steal your joy. Perfectionism. Anybody, you're a perfectionist. You, it's got to be right. It's, it's got to be a certain way. If you are a perfectionist, perfectionism will steal your joy because it won't always be perfect. And at that point, you're going to lose some joy in that because perfectionism is undercutting you. 
bitterness. This is a time of year where people are getting together. Maybe they're gathering in homes, but they're not really together. You know, they're, they might be in the same room, but they're very far apart because relationships can be strained. Uh, there can be a rough past that it just people are trying to work through, and so relationships uh, can become difficult during this time of year even more because there's bitterness and then you, you may be worried about stuff. Maybe you're worried about uh, your job. Maybe you're worried about your kids. Maybe you're worried about a health issue. Maybe you're worried about finances. And there can be things that, that just, just worry us. Maybe you're worried about being worried. I worry so much, and I'm worried about being worried. You know, And it's just like a cycle, right? Uh, and, and these are things that will steal your joy. And we started last week with this premise that whatever season you're in, Whatever your season you're in, Christmas has a tendency to magnify whatever season you're already in. And, and I want to reiterate that. Whatever season you're already in, Christmas has a tendency to magnify that. And so if you're having just great joy, you know what? This can be a season of even greater joy. But if you're struggling, it can be a season where you seem to struggle more. If you're struggling with loneliness, if you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling, these can be things that just seem even bigger because Christmas has a tendency to magnify whatever season you're already in. And so it's ironic that uh, Hoyt wrote the song about joy to the world when he had so much trouble trying to find joy himself. See, people will pursue things to try to find happiness, right? We all, pers- we, 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 we kind of live by that. And what is it, Declaration of Independence? Uh, you know, that, that you all, uh, we have the pursuit of happiness where, where you can pursue whatever you want to to make you happy. That doesn't mean you're going to be happy. Just because you pursue happiness and make happiness a pursuit doesn't mean you're going to experience happiness just because you pursue it. Pursue it. See, happiness is this. Happiness is a feeling controlled by our happenings happiness is a feeling controlled by our happenings. so whatever is happening around you can either try to help make you happy man it's great if life is awesome you know what you just won the lottery man i'm happy right now right but if you just got three or four bills in that you didn't know were coming and they were surprised or maybe your car broke down and blew an engine or you know what those are things that may surround you that 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 create unhappiness for you because Happiness is based on what's happening around you. But joy is not the case. Joy is different and can be different and should be different. And I believe the Bible lays it out and the Christmas story itself lays it out as being different. See, just because you pursue, you have the right to pursue happiness doesn't mean you'll experience it. And we can spend a lot of time and we can spend a lot of money uh, hoping that things and people will complete us, right? At least that's what the movie tells us. And everybody remember the movie? You complete me, right? And that's completely bogus. Uh, and, you know, uh, that's a lot of pressure to put on somebody, right? Um, and no, they're, they're, People let us down. People let us down. Even the people who live in your house that you love so much at some point, they can let you down. And that happens because, you know what? They're people. We're human. We're not perfect. We're, 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 we're flawed. We become selfish at times. And, and see, these are all things that, that work against us. And so 
um, we can put a lot of hope and a lot of money into things and people hoping that they're going to bring us happiness, they're going to bring us a lot of joy. But what we have to understand is this, that if you spend your life waiting for others to bless you, your life will be in constant disappointment. If you spend your life waiting for someone to make it greater for you, to bless you for something just to make your life greater, you're going to be in constant disappointment. I remember there are things that, um, purchases that I made that I thought was going to be life-changing for me. One of them was a Bowflex. Anybody remember Bowflex? Yes! Some of you guys bought that $1,200 hat rack too, right? And that's what it became. It sat in our uh, guest bedroom. That was one of the first big purchases me and Rain. Well, I bought, you know, she, she was just like, whatever, buddy, go ahead. Get in shape. And I did. I'm around shape, okay? Uh, probably not the shape she thought, but, you know, I am a shape. And, and you know, it, it was like it was supposed to be amazing, and it wasn't amazing. We spent a lot of money to make it, you know, to, to, to hopefully it was going to make everything amazing, and, and it did. Now, there's, there's a whole other side to that. Yes, I get it, right? But we think that things are going to make us happy. We think that sometimes people are going to make us happy. And if we spend our entire life waiting for someone to bless us, we're going to be in constant disappointment. We're going to continue to live in a, a constant cycle of disappointment. So in this pursuit of happiness, sometimes we can lose control. In this pursuit of happiness, sometimes we can lose control of things. And I think that's what you see in Mr. Axon's life, that he lost control in his pursuits of happiness. Because sometimes we substitute things. Sometimes things become substitutes and people become substitutes for real joy in our life. C.S. Lewis, uh, I, 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 was, I was listening to uh, an audio book um, of C.S. Lewis, and, and in this audio book, he made the statement. He says, I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are not but substitutes for joy. I sometimes wonder whether pleasures are just a substitute for joy, that we want joy, but we substitute things that we try to get, you know, thing, and people. It could be things or people that we try to bring in, and it's not really going to bring us joy, but it's just a substitute. See, I believe this. I believe that true joy supersedes our circumstances. That's what true joy does, and I think that's what the Christmas story shows us and it models for us is really what joy does for us, that happiness it cannot do. When happiness is dependent upon our happenings, joy supersedes our circumstances. Joy goes beyond our circumstances. And it doesn't really matter what's going on around us. We can still find joy if we look at what this is modeled in the Christmas story. So I want us to go to Matthew, Matthew chapter uh, 2. And I'm going to read two passages of Scripture here. And I call these the two, 210 passages. The 210 passages because uh, it's in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, and also Luke, chapter 2, verse 10, uh, they deal with the very same theme, which I thought was pretty cool. So let's start with Matthew. Um, Matthew is picking up here on the story of the Magi. And the Magi, if you know the wise men, you know, uh, we three kings of Orient are, travel, you know, we travel from afar, you know. And uh, that's what the song says. There probably were more than three. Uh, that's just because there were three gifts that they brought that were, were told, but it was probably more than three. And the, gr the thing about this is these magi uh, probably were astrologers from Persia, 
and they they weren't even Jewish. They were they were from another another land. Uh, they were from another religion, really, um, and they were outsiders. And it's interesting that God spoke to some outsiders and invited them to come inside. He invited people who are on the outside to come in on the inside. And we see this in the story in Matthew. And let's just pick up right here in uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. And it says, And when they saw the star, this star, this miraculous star, they rejoiced exceedingly with what? Great joy. Not just joy, but with great joy. Exactly, yeah. So with great joy that they're seeing this. God is inviting them from being outsiders to become part of the inside. I want you to come from the outside to become to the inside. And they, they made this journey from the outside to the inside because of this invitation, this miraculous invitation. Let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And then we pick up on another group of people in this Christmas story. Another group of people uh, known as the shepherds. Now, shepherds, what about the shepherds? We, we see them. If you have any, How many of you guys have a nativity scene? At your house, you may maybe in your living room or maybe outside, and you know in the nativity scene, you've got these shepherds. They come and and they kind of seem like old men in the uh, in the the nativity scene is how they're all kind of always depicted. Uh, but really, um, they probably would have been the youngest of the family because the shepherds in the family it wasn't a job that really everyone wanted to do. Uh, it was actually a job that was given to the youngest people in the family, and that's why you see in the story of David, David was a shepherd because he was the youngest of all his brothers. So what job does he get? He gets the lowest job on the list, right? You got to go sit and watch the flock, right? You got to go sit and watch the sheep. And so uh, the shepherds, uh, they're out in the fields. These are probably either the youngest in the family, which are young boys, or possibly even uh, young girls. If, if a girl was the youngest in the family, she would have had the job. You're going to go be uh, watch after the flock. And so to think about that, think about that, that this announcement that is given here, and then angel comes, verse 10, chapter 2 of Luke, chapter 2, and an angel said to them, these kids, an angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a what? Great joy. That will be for all people. See, the thing about a shepherd was this, that these, these kids would have been poor. They have, would have been powerless. Uh, they would have been ones that nobody's thinking about. They are the lowest on the rung. They're not living in the king's palace. They are not living a wealthy life. They are living out in the field, basically hanging out with the sheep because it is the job that nobody else wants. And they're looked down upon. And so the the message and the invitation that we see here in these two passages comes to the people who are on the periphery, the people who are on the outside, the people who have been pushed out, people who, you know what, you're not part of our tribe, you're not part of our group, and God goes there and he says, hey, but I'm inviting you in. And, and, and he goes to the ones who are poor and the ones who have no power at all, they're powerless and, and he goes to them, the ones that are forgotten about in the field, and he says, hey, you, I've got good news. There's great joy that's going to be for everybody, and that includes you, and you're invited in. And he declares this message. God declares this message to these people. And so this idea of struggle, um, these people might have been on the outside or maybe they've been poor, powerless, 
but they're invited in. If you notice that in the Christmas story, the people with the least control have the most joy. Now, you got to get that. The people with the least amount of control over anything have the most joy. Who's got the least amount of joy in the story? You know, it's Herod, right? He's the king. He's got the most power. You know, he's got, he's got the most provision. He's got the, he's got the palace, right? But he's the least happy one because there's a new king in town, and so he's angry. He's angry enough to just kill all the kids two years old and under. And that's what he, he decrees. And so the people in the Christmas story, the people with the least control, but they have the most joy. See, Christmas shows us that joy is possible in the middle of suffering and struggle. It is possible even in the middle of feeling powerless. It's even possible when you feel like you have no control over things that are going on around you. When you look around you and you just hate what you're seeing, and you say, I did not ask for this, I did not ask to be here. Even in the middle of that, joy can be possible. See, because joy, once again, joy supersedes our circumstances. Joy goes beyond what's happening around us. Joy can be a permanent thing, and it can be a permeating thing. It's something that can be permanent in our life, and it can be something that is just becomes pervasive throughout our life. And when we, and we see this through, through this story that these people who have no power, no control, but they're invited in, and they realize that they can trust one who does have power and control. And the joy becomes theirs, not because of the circumstances, but in spite of those circumstances. James chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 2. I, wanna, I want us to read this. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. And this is what it says. He says this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Now, I don't like that, right? I have a hard time with that. I mean, that's, I, don't, I don't really... Get joyful about trials that, that I, I go through. Anybody, you just really, I'm just so giddy right now that I'm going through struggles and trials. Nobody's saying that. At, at least we, we probably didn't at first. And, and James is saying, he says, count it all joy. He says, consider this, consider it joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, it produces something. It produces what? Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. See, what James is saying is this. He says, listen, consider this. Or he says, count on this. Consider this. Consider what is true and believe what is true. He says, consider what is true and believe what is true. He says, Consider the truth. The truth is this, is that, yes, you know what? You may not have control over things, but God does. Yes, you, you may not have uh, exactly what you think you need, but it's okay. God is your provision. And there are things that we have to begin to remind ourselves. There are so many things that we can focus on. I don't have this, I don't have this, I don't have this, or I want this, or I, I think I need this. And what we really begin to do is just really take stock and say, you know what? I do have this. God has given me this. How many times has your wants kind of blinded you from what you have? Your wants sometimes will blind you to your haves, that I have this already. God has gifted me this. And sometimes I'm blind to it because I keep looking at my wants. But this is what James says. He says, listen, he says, consider it. Consider what is true and believe what is true. See, there are good things all around us. God is good. We serve a good God. 
And I, I asked Raina this question last night, and uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, before we went to bed. I just asked her this. I said, do you believe that people who are unbelievers, people who are even maybe atheists, can experience God's joy? And we thought about it for, for a minute. We talked about it. And I, be, I do believe so. I do believe that someone who um, doesn't even believe that there is a God can experience God's joy. And why do I say that? I say that for this reason. Because if you go all the way to Genesis, God begins to create and shape and mold and fling planets and stars into the galaxies and, and create this universe. And he gets to this, this earth, this planet, this little rock, and he creates a place for us to be able to not just be here to survive, but to thrive. And there are good things that he plants in this world. And we know that because he created it, and he stepped back and he said, that's good. That's good. He called it good. God called it good. And so even for the person that says, you know what, I don't believe that there's a God at all. I don't believe that there's a God that created. That person can still enjoy God's creation, which God gets joy out of. God got joy out of his creation, and so you see in creation just itself, you see a little bit of his evidence. You see the residue of God's joy. I believe that God is love, and I believe that God is joy, and that all joy is found in him, and all love is found in him, and that out of God's love and out of God's joy, he overflows, and this world and everything uh, that, that is good in it is an overflow of the joy of God, and we can be partakers in that to a certain extent. But see, this is how it's different, though, because I, I kind of relate it to this. During the summer, um, me and my family, will go up to my mother-in-law's house. We call her Mo. And Mo, it's Raina's mom, and we'll go to Mo's house, and Mo has a pool. And we're going to go swimming at Mo's. And we always say, welcome to Mo's, you know, come on, come on in. And we're going swimming at Mo's. And my boys, I love them, but they can be a pain in the neck sometimes. Because when we're just wanting to sit there by the pool in the lounge chairs, especially Kobe, you know, especially Kobe. Yes, you. I'm going to pick on you right now. Especially Kobe. Kobe's over there. He's flicking water. Come on, Dad. Come on, Dad. Get in the, get in the water. I'm like, son, I don't want to get wet. I, leave me alone. Kobe, stop flicking water on me. I don't want to get wet. And Kobe's just all joyful. He's in the water. He's playing. He's having a good time. And he wants me to get in the water. Come on, Dad. When are you going to get in? When are you going to get in, Dad? And so what happens is this, is all the kids are in the pool, and at some point they got to go use the bathroom. And uh, hopefully they don't do that in the pool because we scold them for that. But they'll get out of the pool, and they will trail water all the way around the pool, up the steps, on the porch, through Moe's uh, mudroom, through her kitchen, and go all the way to the bathroom and go use the bathroom, and they'll leave water everywhere. And there's water. And you'll go through the house, and you'll just see where they've been. Because there's evidence of it. And see, that's, that's kind of how I think about God, that everywhere God goes, there's evidence of joy. Everything God touches, there's evidence of joy. You can see exactly where God is. And, and even if you don't believe in God, you know so many of us that when we've had our children, we've had babies, you have experienced that joy. That joy of seeing brand new life. That joy of knowing, and that is part of, of, of something good that God has left with us, the residue of God's joy that we get to touch even if we don't believe. And so it's like walking around the house and just leaving little bits of water. And I'll come through the house and I'm stepping all in everybody else's water that they've tracked through. 
and I'm, I'm, I'm touching, and I'm being splashed, and Kobe's splashing it on me. See, I think that's like drops of joy. But see, at some point, I get tired of Kobe splashing water on me. At some point, I am just had enough. And I jump into the pool and I grab him and I dunk him about seven times like this. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, right? And, 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 uh, and you know what? I have gone from being angry to I'm having fun. And I'm not just getting splashed anymore. I'm in the pool and I'm enjoying myself and I'm immersed in that joy. And see, this is what actually Jesus invites us into. It's not just to be splashed with drops of joy because you can believe, you don't even have to believe in Jesus to be splashed with the joy that God, the residue of him. But there is a scripture in Psalm 1611. This is what it says, and it just kind of made a lot of sense to me. This is the difference between the two. And it says this, you make known to me the paths of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy see this is what we're invited into he says i don't want you to have just a splash of joy i want you to be in the pool with me i want you to be immersed in my joy i want you to be immersed in the life that i'm inviting you to and this is the difference you can settle for a splash of joy here and there but jesus says you can have so much more he says i invite you to life and life more abundantly life and life overflowing see our life overflows with something your life is going to overflow with something and you know what this is like because somebody's drama has overflowed into your life before come on somebody you've caught somebody else's drama pastor Trent, you can go play you you've caught someone else's drama someone else has caught your drama Someone else has caught your wrath, your anger, you know, your, your, your stress. You have overflowed into somebody else's life. But what God invites us into, he invites us into a fullness of joy. He says, if you're going to overflow, this is how I want you to overflow. I want you to overflow with joy. I want your life to be an overflow of joy that when you are full of joy. You know what? I'm not just going to keep pouring and keep pouring and I'm going to stop when you, you get to the brink. No, I'm going to keep pouring till you overflow into somebody else's life. I want you to overflow into the life of your kids. I want you to overflow into your wife's life, into your husband's life, into to the workplace that's around you. I want the joy that I pour into you to become that that overflows into wherever you go. And he invites us to this. And you get that chance to overflow in the fullness of joy. Stand with me.